everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joined today, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Welcome. Thank you for having us back, Ryan. And Mr. Matt Level, welcome back as well. Hello, Ryan. Hello, everyone. Uh, Lee is unfortunately unavailable for this issue, but I'm sure he'll be back again very soon. Um, start off with the usual questions. Keith, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Um, I did something that uh, everybody probably did in the last few weeks, um, trying to beat the uh, introduction of lockdown 2.0. Yeah. Uh, I ventured into Birmingham City Centre to pick up my um, couple of months worth of comics from uh, Walter Park, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though new comics are still arriving in stores as we speak uh, and Waterpart are doing a click and collect and a um, mail order service I just wanted to get in there and pick up the books that um, had been sitting on shelves from, from since about mid-August I think yeah um, there was a big big weighty chunk of comics I was going to say how, how big a parcel was the manual handling requirements was it a double-decker book <laughs> 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 It wasn't. It wasn't quite. It wasn't quite that bad. It was. It was a. It was a fairly expensive uh, purchase. But I think when when that's split up over a couple of months, it's not too bad. Um, but it does mean I can get caught up with a couple of the um, storylines that I've been looking to do, particularly the X of Store X of Swords in X Men. Yeah. Uh, and the other mutant titles, I've kind of been um, very behind with reading that. And because I'm not reading every single Marvel uh, X Men title, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to miss a big chunk of that story but i don't mind too much how loud was um, the um, thud when it hit the desk was it was it a meaty thud <laughs> yeah it was quite a thud the, the the other drawback is and it's something i think i should um uh broach to to worlds Bar is that i've still got a bag and board them all when i get them home um so that's a, that's another thing that, I, that i've got to do, do and it's like maybe maybe you could bag and board them all before i get them but don't use. I use my own tape. That's the that's the other thing. I'm very particular about the tape I use on the back of my um, comic bags. A <laughs> bag and bag and boarding service sounds quite sensible. Yeah, I think some some of the shops do do it when they do the mail order mm-hmm. um, bits and pieces. So you, uh, you may pay an extra couple of pennies for a, for a bag and board. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. Oh, I suppose so I think if you're picking them up from the shop, you're actually going to read them rather than just hustle, you, yeah hustle them into your collection, never to be opened. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm looking forward to just reading through because I've been reading a few bits and pieces um, digitally mm-hmm. at the moment um, or in between. But there, there are so the, the main titles that I'm picking up, generally the kind of stuff that I'm talking about in the pull list on, on the website. Uh, I like to get the physical copies of those. Um, and then I have to hide them out, out of sight so that nobody knows <laughs> I've got another pile of comics when they come in. <laughs> It's like, yeah, just discreetly hide the comics. It's, 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 it's like there's no, there's nothing, un, there's nothing of questionable, you know, content here. They're all, they're all legit. Questionable taste. Fine, <laughs> you know. I shouldn't have to stash them under the bed. Well, those the brown paper envelope comics where they keep. 
Is it under a squeaky floorboard? <laughs> I'll have you know this is art. <laughs> it's not my fault that Hunt Emerson used to do comic strips for um, men's magazines, I should say. Um, you know, it's I, I wasn't buying them for the articles. I was buying them for the comic strips by local comic artists. <laughs> All I can think of is Stanley from The Office now. <laughs> so uh, a fortuitous journey into Birmingham any other fun stuff you've had this week kind of I'm waiting on a couple of um, uh, Blu-rays that uh, I've either been gifted or I've picked up myself which is um, somebody I know has written some essays that have gone in the Eureka Masters of Cinema hmm. uh, releases of Mothra Oh. And uh, H Man and and stuff, which have uh, due to come out, I think they're they're out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing those. I think this release of Mothra is the first time in the UK that the full Japanese version has been available. Wow! Um, so it's all been restored into kind of like high definition, um, which I'm quite looking forward to seeing. Um, which is quite good. I'm still at some point. I've still got to get a hold of the Criterion Godzilla collection, um, which came with the the really nice art book by a lot of comic. Uh, artists that did um, covers for all the various films um but yeah it's quite quite nice to kind of get these um these things and it's got you know it's all full of kind of essays and other bits and pieces so i'm quite looking forward to to watching those at, at some point over the festive period probably mm-hmm. yeah i keep looking at the criterion collection Godzilla box set and then weeping at the price and it's not, <laughs> not being able to justify it but uh hmv actually had a criterion collection sale on I think it was at the back end of last week, where they was doing two of their Blu-ray titles for thirty quid, which is, no, sorry, three for thirty pounds, which is cheap as chips as you could ever find Criterion Collection Blu-rays. So I picked up Moonrise Kingdom and Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Yeah, well. I think it was a good one for the um, Wes Anderson yeah. set. Yeah, I think it was a bit yeah. of a smaller selection than usual, but. Always worth picking up a Criterion Collection Blu-ray clip. Yeah, I think Arrow quite recently as well had done a nice Gamera um, collection, mm-hmm. um, which was a little bit on the steep side. So I think I ended up getting those digitally through iTunes because um, they did a pre-order one where they were quite cheap. Yeah. Um, so I've got the kind of 90s trilogy, um, which looks glorious in, in HD. Mm-hmm. Um, looks really fantastic. So yeah, so there's there's been some good good new um, releases of kind of um, foreign material that um, you haven't been able to get in the UK for a while, which yeah. is quite nice. Yeah, and I think everybody's trying to cash in as much as possible on people being stuck at home. So getting these releases where you won't be able to find them on streaming services out onto disc. I think been a lot of capitalisation on that from as you said. Yeah, the and it's good when it's. Use. It's good when it's companies like Arrow and Eureka and stuff as well. Um, the, the, the smaller kind of um, distributors that are really pulling out some um, nice releases. Yeah. I just wish sometimes Arrow would get their UK schedule to tie up with their American schedule because they've had a couple of releases recently yeah. that I've been slightly vexed that, that we haven't had them in the UK. They did a great um, Mall Rats yeah, I edition saw that one. a while back which upset me no end that uh, we haven't got it in the UK, but that's all kind of down to licensing. And they've got, I think it's a due to come out, is there, um, The Last Starfighter, oh. um, which I don't think has ever been out on Blu-ray in the UK. Um, there has been a previous Blu-ray release, but I think that was um, a Region 1 release only. 
Um, but it's like, I'd like, I'd really like to see both of those movies in the kind of um, yeah. a restored HD version. Yeah, I was going to say, because Last Starfighter fits around that Tron era of very early CGI, which, again, great stuff to see. I'm surprised they haven't done a remake of that at any time too recently, to be honest. There, there is talk of a sequel. Hmm. Um, the original creators have been kind of talking it up in recent weeks that there is a chance of um, a return to the last Starfighter universe, um, which I'm happier seeing than a, than a reboot of the actual film itself. Because yeah. it still kind of works, it being that um, kid playing an arcade machine outside a motorhome. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't, th- I don't think you could replicate nowadays, really. It'd end up being a bit like Future Man. Actually, um, yeah. I assume it's more going to be like an online tournament and then the winner just gets zapped up into space, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm quite i'm quite happy to watch the the original there, i mean yeah. so there's there's something about that that yeah. f- that film that is just still it's pure 80s gloriousness yeah i think definitely one of those christmas classic movies along with like daryl and tron wait yeah i think it shows its age i think if you if you're a young person coming to it now you'd be like man this is a bit kind of but it's it's one of those things that it imprinted on me quite quite substantially back in the early eighties. Yeah, have you ever seen uh, it? And Matt? I've, of it. I've not. Oh, no. Classic, classic film. Because my brother was like a eighties kid, so he he shows me quite a lot. So I've seen loads. I've like the Navigator and that kind of thing. So I've I'm kind of kind of around that sort of area, but no, I've not seen it. It's a classic. It it's imagine Star Wars done on a shoestring budget. Is the way I to explain it. <laughs> I spent a lot of money on a couple of bits of CGI, I think, is, and the rest is. Yeah, probably about eight minutes of CGI in the entire film. <laughs> and the rest is considerably 80s acting, sticking it together. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got a it's got a charm yeah. and a wit to it that you just think this is this is pretty cool. It's it's down it's there from in my kind of it's there with Bill and Ted. In this kind of like, there's a there's a certain yeah. lo-fi charm to this this movie that really appeals to you. That Battle Beyond the Stars, that kind of kitschy sci-fi era. Yeah, Battle Beyond the Stars. That's another thing that I'm assuming Matt's never seen. No, no. Oh, amazing! John Boy in space. <laughs> <laughs> James Cameron as well worked on that yeah. particular movie. Um, it, a lot of the special effects shots from it were reused uh, in lots of other films from around the same period. Mm-hmm. But also, it was the time um, James Horner does the music, um, so it's the kind of it was the first time I got introduced to his score. Which then you hear a lot of the same, similar kind of themes in the um, mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek: um, The Wrath of Khan, yeah. and you can hear that in there. But yeah, again, uh, that it's it's a great it's a great little movie. It's you know it's. It's it's the Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, but it's um, it's a great great film. Yeah, Matt's Matt's in, Matt's in for some treats, absolutely. <laughs> Don't do it like I did though, and show people these films like I showed people Night of the Comet, which I remember <laughs> as being a great zombie movie from back in the day. And I sh- I showed it to a group of people a couple of years ago, and they went, "That's the most boring zombie movie I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> Oh, that's that's always heartbreaking though. We're something you absolutely love, and they're just like, I don't, or, or, or I don't get it, or they're just like, just completely and utterly not on your level. It's it's soul destroying. 
Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think we need to have a screening session with Matt at some point and introduce him to these classic 80s sci fi movies. Yeah, and like throw in throw in another one. I think if we do 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 a whole bunch, I could throw in have you ever seen Buckaroo Banzai? No. I, I have very off very long ago, but it is a classic. Absolute <laughs> classic. This is a film that, that gives you the line of it's like wherever you are, that's where you are. I think I, that's paraphrasing. It's, it's it's better than that. But he's got Peter Peter Weller who went on to be Robocop. Yeah, um, and people yeah, still scream exactly about having a sequel to this day, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do it. I mean, it had Jeff Goldblum's in it, and um, John Lithgow, and you know, it's it's full of great, great, great characters. It makes absolute no sense. It's utter nonsense, but it's is absolutely lovely. <laughs> But it's like I think I think if you watched it now, you just go, oh, okay. <laughs> but you won't. You'll love it. It'd be brilliant. You'll go Last Starfighter class. Yeah. Buckaroo Ben's Eye class. Night of the Comet class. <laughs> um, any other opinions are, are, are equally valid. I think the only other one we need to throw into that mix is Flash Gordon. Uh, oh, so I have seen Flash Gordon. I think I think it's a rite of passage for every child in the UK to have at least watched Flash Gordon once or twice, especially yeah. so their parents can say, "Look, it's Peter Duncan from Blue Peter in that one." <laughs> <laughs> James Bond, <laughs> uh, yeah, Prince Baron. I, that also reminds me, I, I, quite recently as well, because of the uh, passing of uh, Sir Sean Connery, I rewatched um, Highlander, which is another one of those films that I just. Um, my has name a, is... a huge significance for me. Yeah, my name is Ramirez, the Spanish. <laughs> I'm I'm the Egyptian Spanish Scotsman, and you're the French Scotsman. This all makes no sense. Yeah, but what a, what a great movie and a fantastic Queen soundtrack, the, which yeah. ties it into the Flash Gordon um, yeah. side of things, which is yeah. really good. We w- we won't speak oh. of the sequels. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just, just, just the Highlander movie and maybe the series, not the cartoon series. We'll just leave it at that. Oh, <laughs> yes, most definitely not the cartoon series. <laughs> right, I think we've covered pretty much every single eighties single sci-fi movie there at some point. Yeah, uh, we slipped slipped into a bit of nostalgia there. Yeah. <laughs> now, to return more to the nineties, kids. Matt, how have you been doing? What have you been up to? Yeah, fine. I think if we talked about uh, journeys around Birmingham, I went on an autumnal walk to walk, <laughs> autumnal walk to Edgbaston Reservoir, which was uh, quite nice, quite nice. Couldn't couldn't say the same for Edgbaston in general, but the reservoir was quite nice. Um, but uh, geeky stuff. So three things really. Uh, the first one is I've been playing Phasmophobia. Um, um, the latest indie yeah. darling run into a cupboard game. Yes, the latest indie darling. It's um, and for those of you who don't know, it's effectively like if Ghost Hunters or Most Haunted was a game, but there was actually activity. <laughs> so you're you go into teams of up to four, uh, go into these procedurally generated houses, and then you basically have to collect evidence to find out what kind of spirit it is that's haunting the premises and um you each select your own gear and that kind of thing so you can do like you know temperature readings that kind of thing and effectively you communicate through walkie-talkies um 
and so if you go out of range you can't hear each other but also if the ghost whatever it is starts hunting and kills one of you then you're dead and the others just have to carry on and the whole point is you have to go in collect evidence um the ghost will mess with you they'll sometimes like lock you um inside the house that kind of thing so you have to do certain things to get it to let you go and then you all jump back in your wagon and then go home and get paid and it's um it's just it's one of those social games that's just hilarious to play um i do really really love it who pretended to be Derek Akora, or did you all try and do it do the Mary loves Nick. <laughs> I, 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 I every single time we load in, every single time we load in. <laughs> I can feel the spinets. Bill's here. Bill. Bill. <laughs> well, there's because there's a dedicated button where you can talk to the ghosts, and sometimes it will give you. It will say like you know the ghost. We found out the ghost is called I don't know Mary Sue, and if you say Mary Sue, it pisses her off, and then she'll start doing stuff. So. You just you just, <laughs> just locked in the uh, laundry cupboard going, Mary Sue, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good fun game to get into. I can imagine with the right friend group it would be really, really fun. Yeah, it's it's I think it's about fourteen ninety nine on Steam. Um probably cheaper on places like C D keys, that kind of thing. But it's not graphic intense either, so pretty much any computer made this century could probably run it. Um and yeah, it's it's Quick but fun, really good for friends. You don't have to be gamers, just enjoy a bit of a laugh and a bit of a scare. Um, other than that, I've uh, so I mentioned in the last episode um, that I was just about to start playing Cyberpunk 2020, mm-hmm. 2022. Yes. Um, uh, so we had our first session and we were just building our characters, but yeah, so. Recap Cyberpunk, it's the game that's coming out. It's based on this tabletop RPG similar to D&D, um, very late 70s, early 80s, and it's a proper kind of Blade Runner, obviously Cyberpunk uh, world. And some of the stuff is insane. The fact that obviously we're in 2020, sat here in COVID, and this book is... Um, the guidelines of the else it's building this world of what 2020 is like what everyone thinks 2020 is going to be like and you've got like cellular phones and they're proper just they're still massive bricks but they're bricks that can like do loads of hacking and they can be used as weapons and that kind of thing and it's just really cool and um, the biggest sell about uh, cyberpunk compared to like D&D is um, you live in a world where everything is um, everything is modded so um, you can have everything from a sort of like new eyes, colour changing hair, colour changing skin, to you can literally replace your limbs with with blades and with knives and all sorts of other things. And the more you mod, the less human you become until you have cyber rage and become this absolutely mental, barely human cyborg thing. Um but yeah, so we've just filled up the characters. We're playing our first game tomorrow, so it's all very, very exciting. <laughs> so basically, by the end of it, you turn into a Swiss Army knife. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> that sounds like a great forget. I mean, Cyberpunk really seems to be uh, back with force at the minute. So we've got Watch Dogs Legion, which got released. I think it was about a week and two weeks ago. Uh, which is, and then the ever delayed Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven coming soon. 
Yeah, yeah. And a few other things. It just seems to be like it's riding a big wave at the minute. And I think you might see a lot more cyberpunky movies coming out soon. I mean, I, I keep hearing rumours of a Tron Legacy sequel now. Ten years have passed and people realised oh, it was actually quite good. Fingers crossed that Disney like finally pick that back up and do something with it. Yeah, I think with things like uh, Tron Legacy, it was that kind of thing of... Because there wasn't necessarily much of a, a call for it, when Disney did it, it was a nice thing. I think they just there wasn't enough behind it to get people excited and actually into watching it. But that's where, on the flip side, I'm worried with things like Cyberpunk uh, 2077, because I personally don't care if they delay it. Um, I just want it to be a good game. Uh, but obviously, if it doesn't go as well, or if, or if anything happens, then it's going to have a massive backlash. And also with CD Projekt Red as well, they are a very good game studio mm-hmm. um i just don't want them to to have that really i just i want it yeah. to go well for their sake <laughs> yeah i mean they've done a great thing with good old games and it's always been about making drm free and it's all about crediting the developers as much as possible but i do feel sorry for the team behind cyberpunk 2077 i think they probably had a massive amount of crunch trying to develop something for current gen next gen well now current gen consoles will next turn at the time of the announcement and find that balance <clears> between developing for the Xbox One all the way up to a super massive gaming PC and like having that entire breadth in one game must be a massive task of optimization on how you're going to be able to get stuff out and get it playing and playing similar across all consoles. Uh, I know something they spoke a lot about with The Witcher 3 getting that onto the Switch was about how 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 they they wanted to uh, preserve the quality of the game and make sure that it was exactly the same game that was on PC as was on the Nintendo Switch. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so again, Cyberpunk, the tabletop game, I, I would thoroughly recommend playing it just, just for the lore. I mean, going back to our 80s conversation, it's proper... 80s lo-fi futuristic tech and it's just brilliant it's so good everything's neon um you've got you've got like video jackets where it's got hologram projections on the collars and that kind of thing it's just it's really cool and it's really fun to visualize as well um and it's because with, with dnd that kind of thing um i i i've never really played it but i've always i've dabbled i've read the books that kind of thing it's hard to break out of the stereotypical what what you see in a fantasy setting whereas i think yeah the the kind of futuristic lo-fi style is a lot easier to have your imagination run away with you i think in a weird way yeah definitely yeah there's less kind of visual references that you're always going to think of as opposed to yeah. the fantasy setting the fantasy setting you're always going to be thinking of those classic things that you've you've watched in the past well, so i think the, the cyberpunk there isn't an awful lot of visual references for stuff like that outside of Johnny Mnemonic and, and Blade Runner. There has yeah. mm. really been that kind of big um, future world stuff. I think there's a few, you know, they've been doing stuff like Altered Carbon recently that are kind of touching on that kind of thing. But I think that 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 you're right with that, Matt. It's a little bit easier for you to kind of just go, ah, oh, I'm just going to imagine this because you've got no, you've got nothing to go to fall back on in terms of like the typical, oh, you know, ma- mad, you know, white suit. The thing with fantasy, it's been stuck in 
what I call Tolkienistic fantasy for nearly a, uh, nearly a century now. <clears throat> it's dwarves, elves, men, orcs, goblins, occasional dragon, and that that's kind <laughs> of like your set pack that gets dealt out every time. There's been no kind of mixing up of the genre for quite a long time because it feels like everybody's just comfortable with having elves. Elves are the beautiful, pretty ones who live forever. Dwarves are the short, stubby ones who live forever. Humans are the ones that die quickly but have the most intelligence and stuff like that. It's it's that kind of annoyance that I get stuck with having that Tolkienistic fantasy and Lord of the Rings, although it is a fantastic series of books, it's kind of ruin the genre for everybody else a little bit because if you expect fantasy now you expect Tolkien you don't expect an alternative kind of fantasy it's kind of really got stuck in that rut how about you Ryan if, what what exciting uh geeky related things have you been up to in the past two weeks well as we're in lockdown two and we're supposed to be going out to exercise and doing lots of walks I've decided to relive 2016 again any guesses Oh, I don't know. <gasps> Pokemon Go. It is Pokemon no. Go. Yes, I re-downloaded. Oh, excellent! <laughs> I re-downloaded Pokemon Go mainly because I've got a few friends and like we have a little chat group and like we can do raids and stuff together. So it's more of an excuse to just get me out of the house and go for a walk at least once a day. It's... How does it stand up four years later on? Well, there's more Pokemon now than anything. It's gone from the original set of Pokemon, which I was very comfortable with the names, playing like red and blue back in the day, now to like, what's a Snivy? What what kind of Pokemon <laughs> is this? That that's not a Mewtwo. What 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 are all these new Pokemon? I have not a clue what most of them are. And they've introduced a lot of the Pokemon recently from the new Sword and Shield games. So like you have the British Pokemon starting to invade into the game. But um it's the the core gameplay it's itself hasn't changed. Go out, catch Pokemon, spin Pokestops, battle at gyms. That kind of core experience hasn't gone away. Just lots and lots of other stuff over the top of it. Uh, um, it gives you an incentive to go out, I suppose, and at least do some kind of exercise rather than just sitting in the house. Especially at this time of year. I'm finding it quite hard when I, when I look at half three in the afternoon and it's already dusk outside. It's kind of Ready for hibernation. <laughs> I know what you mean, though, because uh, I used to play Pokemon Go um, to and from work, and I would often, you'd often walk a bit longer or take a bit of a detour just because you see some Pokemon, you're like, oh, okay, or, you know, there's Poke stuff or whatever. Yeah. So it is, it is quite good in that respect. It is. And it must be a lot better if you've actually got people to go out with to do it. Yeah. Well, they're in different parts of the country and different bits of lockdown at the minute, but it's kind of you can still do remote raids, so they introduced a remote raid pass, so if there's a particular Pokemon that you fancy, you can all group up together and play remotely on a as a game, so that's quite cool. Yeah, it's like yesterday I had to walk to the post box, and my walk to the post box game extended to about 45 minutes of just going around in a big circle and collecting lots of items. I just thought it was a good, good way to re-encourage myself so I don't know it's kind of I do miss those days when it first came out and those, that first month of release back in 2016 and every single person in the world seemed to have downloaded the game it was a really good ex- fun experience for everyone 
Well, I remember walking through Pigeon Park um, after the pub at like 8pm and just seeing, it was just pure silence, but there was just hundreds of people just in Pigeon Park just playing. Yeah. No, or, or then like a Dragonite would suddenly like, appear and everyone would start running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's nice to I've see. I've still got installed. Have you? Where was the last yeah, time you I, were? I haven't fired one for a while. <laughs> Apart from when people complain that I haven't opened their gifts um, for six months, <laughs> and then say, okay, I'll go yeah. and do that. Um, yeah, I should I should fire it up again. I haven't really played it um, for for a long while. Other than that, I've uh, introduced Viv, my lovely wife, to Black Books, as she'd never seen it, and basically I sat down and forced her to watch it on all four. And we're now like alternating Black Books and Taskmaster. So Taskmaster one night, Black Books the next night. So uh, it is still one of my favourite series ever created for TV. And Dilemaran is is just himself, but playing that character perfectly. And it's nice seeing early Bill Bailey on the screen. They make a fantastic trio. And I think um, Tamsin Gregg as well. Yeah, just, Tamsin Gregg's awesome. Yeah, the way all three of them interact. Um, Black Books is also like one of my favourites. Same with like, Space. It's one of those where I think as much as I would want more of it, I think it's perfect because every single episode is entertaining and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's one of that thing that British comedy does very well when you have a season of six episodes. It cuts out all the chaff that you have, where you have like a US comedy show which lasts twenty two. In the UK, it's got to be short, it's got to be sweet, it's got to be pretty much perfect writing to fit in twenty two minutes worth of footage. <laughs> and it, it's great to see. So, like, we watched the episode where Dylan Moran gets locked out of the shop. Yes, and you get like you get all these little like starring roles. So you got get Nick Frost in there. Um, Peter Serafina, which turns up, and it's all kind of like these just little kind of cameos that are there for like less than five minutes usually. Really spices the main trifecta of that show up. Really forgot how much I enjoyed it until I started watching it again. And it's Tass- eminently quotable. Yeah. It's also as well influenced the fact that if I ever own a shop, that's the that's the that's the kind of attitude I'll be taking to my customers. <laughs> I can imagine if you ran a coffee shop, a comic book shop or a coffee shop, you would just be there behind the desk. No, my boss. Get out. Yeah. Right, I'm bored now. It's get a, out. Get out. Get out. It's perfect. It's the, per- it's, the, it's, the, it's the ultimate. You kind of go, that's that's the way things should be run. Yeah. Um, what are you doing? Why have you even come into my shop? <laughs> Leave now. I, 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 yeah, if I think of Keith, you having like a comic book shop, I just think of... Tim Bisley in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be the same thing. Maybe not. Maybe not so badly uh, worrying about the Phantom Menace. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got quite as many problems as Tim has with the Phantom Menace. No. So I'd be a bit, I'd be okay. It'd be, I'd be the, okay with that. I'd, it'll be the. Same. I'd be more kind of like, like yeah, games, Game of Thrones and, and Westworld. I'd be a bit more. Oh, no, out. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say it'd be the sequels now, wouldn't it? People complaining about the, <laughs> complaining about the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I do love that though. I do love how everyone's suddenly being there, like, oh, actually, the prequels aren't that bad. I'm just like, come up, don't, don't change now. Don't get on the bandwagon. Like, if you have an opinion, stick to it. <laughs> I think yeah. the problem... Empire, Empire Magazine gave Attack of the Clones five stars. We shall always remember these things. Yeah. 
I think the thing with the prequels now is because they've had the Clone Wars, it really rounded out the series. So if you're a Star Wars fan, you had all that extra lore added into the Clone Wars for you, Mm -hmm. and it it fixes a lot of the problems of the movies, I think. (laughs) It's kind of, yeah. Trade negotiations as the main plot point of a series is never, never really carried across, I think, with the youth. But it's nice that there people are looking at them through a different eye now. I think it's beneficial that you know George Lucas was doing such a good job of imagining Brexit back in two, <laughs> nine, 1999 uh, and, and kind of had modelled the entire um, plot of the Phantom Menace around the trade negotiations between Britain and the European Union. So I think you know he was, he was looking forward quite a lot there. I thought I thought he yeah. kind of really um, cracked it with that. Up with Darth Johnson and uh, Count Dominic Cummings. <laughs> Dominic Sidious. <laughs> who would no. you Who would you have as um, General Grievous? That'd be Michael Gove. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's got. Oh, yeah, he's got the look for that, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that, that slightly skeletal, slightly ill-looking uh, look to him. Pasty-faced, yeah. wheezy man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a quick one. Has, has anyone seen the new Spitting Image? No. I've caught a couple of clips on YouTube. They're trying to promote, like, downloading the whole thing through Brickbox. Yeah. But I think putting it on Brickbox is probably the most stupid idea that they could have done with something like Spitting Image. For any satire show, it needs as big an audience as possible. It needed to be like it was in the in in the in the old days, prime not not prime time, but kind of like early late early late evening on ITV. Yeah. You know, ten o'clock where everybody's like, okay, we've got to get ready for work, but you know, we're seeing this satire, yeah. um, which which is got sadly missed, I think, on British television, mm-hmm. some hard hitting satire. But I've heard some reviews saying that it's not quite as sharp as it once was. I think. Somebody um, mentioned it's David X. Cohen writing the scripts who did Futurama. Right. So it's kind, oh, of, okay. kind of like an odd personal for me choice for somebody to be working on future from Futurama to Yeah. Spit there, I mean there's plenty of British guys who could be writing that, you know, you would get the likes of Amando uh Iannucci oh. and and um some of the guys that he worked with back in the day when they had some stuff on BBC two where they were taking oh. the Mickey. He's got HBO um, money now, though, so he doesn't care about anybody else. <laughs> I, can, I can do I can do things with uh, HBO money. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see it just to see kind of you know how it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit. It's another streaming service that you too many really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's exactly what you said. It was that that kind of thing of um, because it's satire, but also it's satire that's that's parodying things week by week. It's you kind of want as many people to watch it as possible because it's not really something you can go back and watch, really. Yeah. Because um, you kind of have to have the knowledge of the now to find the nuances of the humour they've got. They've got. Yeah. In yeah. It, so. And I think South Park filled that role very well with the satire. <laughs> yeah. in like the 90s with that they had like a one week turnaround time from creation to getting there and I think satire's moved on quite a bit since the original Spitting Image puppets yeah it's it's still a very valid medium of course but I think it's 
It's an odd choice to put it on a streaming service where probably you're not going to go there unless you're after rewatching old episodes of Soaps or trying to get through the entirety of old Doctor Who where you can't go anywhere else. Yeah. So that, that Doctor Who Coronation Street spitting image crossover group might be a bit bit tight to find. <laughs> this is a really stupid question. Like, can can you actually get like Coronation Street box sets? I'm and that kind of thing. I'm assuming. Because isn't there like three billion episodes? Like I don't Yeah. Wouldn't you have to <laughs> I think they have classic episodes on there. So if you, oh, well. so if you can't find UK TV gold on one of the other million versions of a streaming service. You can watch it on Britbox instead. Wow. Mm-hmm. That would be quite a task, wouldn't it, to watch Coronation Street from the beginning. <laughs> uh, that would that would be some kind of epic task, that would Or start from now and go backwards and watch uh, Ken Barlow do a Benjamin Button across the years. <laughs> DH, yeah, that would be quite funny. I suppose we should actually get in some content, gentlemen. <laughs> now we're into the episode. <laughs> if we must. <laughs> Why stop reminiscing about <laughs> last Starfighter? And now your journey is just beginning. Keith, you set us a challenge a few weeks ago. I did. I did. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder now whether I picked the right film after struggling for a while to think, how am I going to realise this? Because I, um, if you remember, I picked 2001 A Space Odyssey. Which is full my... of, yeah, very memorable shots it's very full of. It's very full of, of lots of memorable shots. But then you kind of realise that um, what, a, what a tricky uh, person old Stanley Kubrick is in terms of... Um, putting his uh vision on screen yeah as a kid yeah how am i going to reproduce that that's just impossible with the things i've got around around me wasn't this Um, one of the most expensive movies ever made at the time yeah yeah i mean it kind of really kicked off that kind of um special effects uh stuff that kind of um influenced an awful lot of what was going on then late i mean you're still like eight years later when star wars came along yeah um but some of the most realistic space effects that you'd ever seen up until that point um so in the end having struggled with the idea of using a playstation 2 as the monolith <laughs> and some various lego figures as as other characters um i couldn't quite get that to work so i ended up going i'm just gonna do something simpler here uh so i kind of spent a while looking around at what action figures i'd got and how i could do it um so I, I ended up just choosing one um, particular scene, uh, which is the um, moment when Bowman is asking Pod to um, how to open the Pod bay doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very simple looking scene. It's just him in a pod with some nice lights behind him and some nice um, <laughs> reflections. Uh, and I used a, a Toy Story um, Buzz Lightyear action figure as my um, replacement for Bowman uh, with some, some of my wonderful back projected through a monitor backgrounds uh, and then lit with a torch um, and and just photographed that way. Which I looks pretty good. I don't know how you've managed it, but you made Buzz Lightyear look sinister in this. 
it's all about the lighting. It's all about the lighting. It's uh, just just catching that glint of, of light, which is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so that that was the, it was the open the pod bay doors um, scene that I've picked as that for for my choice and you, using a Buzz Lightyear action figure. Matt, do you want to go next? Yeah. So um, again, this sounds really bad. I've not really seen. 2001 a space odyssey i tried to watch it once in uni and because there's no dialogue for the first 30 minutes um it kind of made me really anxious <laughs> so um i it's, it's on my list to go back to but because it's like because it's a kubrick film and it's it's very you have to really be paying attention um yeah, I've just not got around to it. But so my scene is, uh, forgive me if the details are a bit wrong. Uh, Bowman, there's there's a couple of shots where uh, Bowman is walking down this really long, kind of like mirrored hallway. Um, I think it's leading to the the quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've done is effectively recreate that. You'll be pleased to know, no Photoshop, no After Effects, no nothing at all. And I'm not in it either. So hopefully I'll get more likes this time. Um, <laughs> And I basically got my desktop, uh, put the uh, the background as um, this hallway, and then got my uh, pop figure of Diva from Overwatch, and she's doing a very stylish point uh, down the corridor. So I'm kind of bringing it into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I can imagine an Overwatch version of 2001 Space Odyssey. Can imagine it being like a map. <laughs> Uh, right. it's 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 very good i like i like the background i, I was looking at that that particular background and, and that the, that particular scene but i was struggling to figure out how i was going to get my action figure into the um the spaces i was trying to think about how i could re- recreate that in live but you, you've done a yeah. great job there matt I'm, that's, that's quite impressive <laughs> thank you all right are you ready ready yeah. Right, I've gone for a very early scene in the movie, personally. So, I also had the monolith idea. I also considered it a PlayStation 2. But I scaled it down a little bit, because the only monkey I could find in close quarters to use was Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) Who's a a very... Who's a chimp. Using that as a blanket to recreate the uh, dusty landscape that the monkeys are on. And a battery pack to resemble the monolith, and a printed out picture of some uh, clouds and Arizona background in the in the thing to recreate that wonderful vision at the start of the movie when the monolith turns up and humanity is set on course for the rest of the movie. I'm not gonna lie, I love all three of these. I love all three of these. They're so good. Yeah, Mr. Kubrick would be very impressed. Uh, with our ability to re- reproduce his uh, seminal classic movie in in gear found around the house, uh, yeah, the, the use of Mojo Jojo is is just brilliant. I can hear his voice. Um, kind of what 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 he would be saying? But that that that, that those are those those are uh, that, this is going to be a tricky one for for voters, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this there's uh, there's a, there's lots. Lots to um, mm-hmm. for each one of those to get a big thumbs up. Really, yeah, they're, they're really cool. Uh, I, cool. I will say though, Keith, I I really like the attention to detail 
when you try to get the lighting just right. And the fact that he's giving it a big eyebrow as well, a cheeky smile, is just brilliant. I love it. I, I want to watch a toy. I can't claim, I can't claim anything <laughs> about his expression on his face because that's pretty much locked in. But well selected, though. Well selected. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, it was like, I've, I've kind of d- done it and game. I'm getting a bit of a kind of um, uh, a look because I'm thinking my Luke Skywalker one for the alien had a very similar <laughs> kind of setting. It's it's throw a toy into a darkened room with a torch. Um, so I'm kind of thinking as long as as long as people are picking films in which there's a scene where it's a dark room and there's a, there's a spotlight, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, anything anything more complicated um, is pretty good, but yeah, it's it's more it's more mood. I'm going for, I'm going for mood rather than accuracy, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's, they're all pretty good. This is this is going to be a toughie. Oh, great a toughie. stylized representations here. So as usual, what we'll do is throw this onto our Twitter. So go and find our Twitter at Geeky Rummy. Don't forget to subscribe or follow or do the Twittery things while you're there. And uh, vote on the poll, and next episode we'll come back with uh, the winner. It seems to be a tight race here. And now it's time for that regular look at comics in the Geeky Brummy pool list. As you may be aware, because of lockdown 2.0, comic shops around the country will be closed, but many are offering click and collect and mail order services, so you can still keep grabbing your comics every week. Just contact your local comic shop to see what services they're offering. This week, I've only one comic up, and it is my pick of the week. It's Once and Future number 13 from Boom Studios. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora. Beowulf's arrival was an unexpected one, and now that the smoke has cleared, Gran and Duncan are beginning to wonder what other surprises lurk around the corner. Meanwhile, in the other world, Merlin is up to his old tricks, and crossing over with another story was just the beginning of his plan. This is a fabulous series, and I highly recommend it to readers who enjoy British folklore and horror. In the following week, my comic recommendations will be X-Men number 15 from Marvel Comics. This is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asur. This is X of Swords chapter 20. A great division, bitter victories, bitterer hearts. Then we have Excalibur number 15, also from Marvel. This is written by Tinny Howard with art by Stefano Caselli. This is X of Swords chapter 21. A game abandoned, but a great gamble remains. A tower answers. And then we have the one-shot X of Swords Destruction number one, written by Tinny Howard and Jonathan Hickman, with art by Pepe Laraz. This will, of course, be X of Swords chapter 22. The Wheel of Fortune Turns, The Unfortunate Fall, A Sword Against the Darkness. And rounding out the Marvel comics from that week is Power Pack number one. This is written by Ryan North with art by Nico Leon. Power Pack is back. Kate, Julie, Jack and Alex Power have been superheroing since they were learning to tie their own shoes. It's been ages since they fought side by side as a family, but a special occasion and an old grudge is about to put the gang back together. There's just one teeny tiny hiccup. A brand new law restricting underage superheroes. But surely, if the fate of all New York City is at stake, the powers that be will make an exception. Keep your fingers crossed as the power siblings fight for their right to save the world. I was a big fan of the original Louise Simonson series back in the day, and I have high hopes for a new Power Pack series. Then from Dark Horse Comics, we have X-Ray Robot number 4, written and illustrated by Michael Allred. 
After an incredible trip through infinite universes, super scientist Max Wilding stumbles upon hidden truths and a climactic battle with consequences that ripple through dimensions and time itself. This has been a great fun series with some incredible art. I'm a huge fan of Michael's work and you should check it out. And finally for that week, we have what will be the final issue of John Constantine Hellblazer, number 12. This is from DC Comics, written by Sidesburia, with art by Aaron Campbell. John Constantine faces his final reckoning with the older version of himself who's been seeding magical chaos all around England, while the lives of all his friends hang in the balance. And that is not a good situation for John Constantine's friends. Can the evil in John's heart ever be contained? Or will it reach out and destroy the one life he would give anything not to corrupt? I'm very sad that this series is coming to an end. It has been one of the greatest comics I've read in a long time and is definitely up there with the original Hellblazer comic from the uh, 80s and 90s. I hope DC see the error of their ways and bring this comic back with this creative team. And you can do your bit to encourage DC to bring this comic back by buying copies of the trade paperback for yourself and for your friends as it would make the ideal Christmas gift for comics fans and horror fans alike. I do hope that John Constantine Hellblazer returns soon uh, with this creative team. I have had a great time reading this book. But now back to the main show. Show me the one whose safety deemed such destruction. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. for a child. Wherever I go, he goes. So I've heard. Uh, moving on to another helmeted space person. Mandalorian has launched on Disney. Matt, we will try and make this as spoiler-free as possible for you, as you have not watched this yet. But the first two episodes have been aired so far. And we've caught up with The Mandalorian and The Child. Um, Very strong start to the series, I think. A lot of people were complaining about the second episode being a more slower-paced episode and not leaving the story on. I think some episodes like that are needed to like just break it up a little bit more and pace the show out rather than having to be all action all the time. Keith, what were your thoughts on the first two episodes? Um, I really enjoyed them. I definitely believe that this is a show that non-Star Wars fans could watch quite easily and get quite a lot out of it. Um, it it feels like good television um, that's, that's, that's more about the characters than the Star Wars-iness of it. I think you get an ad- added layer if you have any, any love for Star Wars lore. You're getting extra stuff in there, yeah. but you don't need it. If, if you're just coming in and going, I just want to be entertained, it's doing that. And I think I was, I thought the criticisms of the episodes have been harsh. 
um, because I, I think there is an awful lot going on there and it's giving us time to breathe. I love the weekly schedule that it gives you time between episodes to kind of take it in and digest it and kind of mull it over and think what's going on. And then they're just continually adding great new characters to the world. Um, in, the, in the second episode, they introduce a character uh, who basically um, kind of takes over as 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 the you just go this, this is a great character you know that they they um do a lot of interesting things um and i know I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it i thought there's a lot going on and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and, and we'd said about it being about this sense of um well, i'd said I, I always thought that it was a show that was about family and that they seem to be doubling down uh already on both of these episodes about community and family the first episode is very much about um somebody looking after their their found family um the the character that timmy timothy oliphant played spectacularly and if he doesn't come back in this series i will be very upset and i would love him to have his own spin-off series yeah um because that it was that was just uh they they, they kind of looked at where he's come from and gone yeah we're just going to put that into the, the mandalorian and it's all great um you know and they've they foreshadowed lots of stuff um and then they do great stuff like having um appa from kim's convenience um uh, you stole a, a my great... point you stole my point <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was it was a marvelous moment you just go this is fantastic the actor's name is paul hyun sung lee and i think he's a very long established member of the 501st uh, yeah. He does a lot of cosplay. He's been doing a lot of work for charity with the Five O First, and I think, and having him, having that nod of him as a character in Star Wars, in the Star Wars, as an actual proper character, now it was really nice yeah. to see something like that. And it's kind of like giving a little bit back to the fans that some of these people. I mean, it's one thing they did very much so in the first series. I think they used a lot of cosplayers for the um, final episode. Just like yeah, they used time. a whole a whole division of the five hundred first who had um, done a lot of work, and and now they can all say that they've got screen used um, stormtrooper uniforms and stuff. Yeah, um, which is really good. But I think that's again that's that's the Dave Filoni influence. Um, he he's very much, mm-hmm. you know, if anybody could be called Mister Star Wars, yeah, it, it's it's Dave. I think really to even even to a certain extent beyond. George now. Yeah. I think uh, John Favreau he, wrote both of these first episodes though. So Yeah. Uh, can... But I think you know it's it's Dave's guiding hand in how it all feels and works on screen. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, he he's he's so versed in the whole universe and just makes it all work. Yeah. Um, perfectly. I think some of the nicer touches as well we've seen quite a few characters from the original Macquarie concept art here. So yeah. the, the the spiders that you'll get in episode Two, which I, I, I will just leave it at that. But you might have noticed them in Rebels, and I think it's supposed to be a different genus of the same species that were in Rebels. So it's, it's nice to see those kind of touches and nods back to going back to even before Star Wars was Star Wars, really. It's it's a great sequence as well there, and uh, it 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 just is it it's just good television. I think you know it's it's. It breezes by, and you just kind of go, oh, "I can't wait till next week." I'm, you know, it's really enjoyable. You know, you just get swept along by the whole thing. I think the best way I can describe it is for me, 
if you watched any kind of anime and you ever watched Cowboy Bebop, it's yeah. got a very similar kind of feel to that, where it is this very much a lived-in universe, but that all pales to the character development and the character growth that you have throughout the episodes. And it's kind of... it's Star Wars is very much the setting here, as you mentioned, Keith. It's the yeah. setting. It's not the drive of the story. It, it's all about getting a child back to where he's supposed to be, even though he can be a very naughty child. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant as well, because that's so real. It's that kind of like, don't do that. I've told you many times, don't do that. And they still do it. <laughs> and you can and see like... that he perfectly understands what he's not supposed to do and just yeah. does it anyway. Yeah. But um, it's nice to see nods back to other parts of Star Wars as well. So like the crate Dragon in the first episode. Yeah. It's very much, it was uh, in KOTOR, and I think it's been in a few of the other books and spin-off stuffs. But it's nice to see that kind of interaction with other parts of Star Wars outside of it just being in the original episode of the movies, the canon, as it's called. And Dave Lowe seems to be bringing a lot of what was thrown out with the legendary stuff back into canon via way of this series. It's kind of his way of saying, well, I'm going to fix Star Wars. And all the stuff he yeah. threw out with the whole Disney re-canonization. He's done it with Rebels. He's done a little bit with the Clone Wars. And I think he's doing it with the Mandalorian. It's like bringing back parts of Star Wars he wants. And he feels yeah. that should be in the continuity. Yeah, I, I can agree with those kind of elements. Because um, uh, that's one of the reasons why I quite like Rogue One as well. Because things like, even at the last, um, the very last battle, you see... Um, some of the sort of public cruisers from KOTOR and that kind of thing. So it's nice that obviously those stories are legends, but they're trying to rework them back in in some form. So it almost gives you hope as well that there's they might pick up a few more of those storylines from the legends canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I remember reading the books a lot when I was a kid and stuff like the Dash Rendar trilogy. Those kind of books which were, again, all thrown out Bringing some of those elements back in, I'd like to see in a future Star Wars series. I don't think I'd like to see them so much in The Mandalorian. I think it works having a very stripped-down cast and just being very much... And the other thing we've got to mention as well, uh, Pedro Pascal, although he's a great voice, some of the body acting that you have, because Pedro Pascal doesn't actually spend that much time in the suit. It's two stunt guys, and they do so much physical acting. Even though it's supposed to be this faceless warrior the amount of physical acting that supports the show as well. They they really deserve more credit, I think. Uh, those, those folks are doing phenomenal work, giving him his character such such a, a great vibe. You know, just the, the whole physicality that they bring bring to the character is great. I think it goes beyond the voice um, for him. He's he's definitely how he moves and how he how he gestures and everything like that. It's um, they've done some great work with that. Um, I think the only thing that worries me slightly going forwards is is the the potential of of how much of an impact Sabine Wren and Ahsoka Tano will have, hmm. and I hope it that's more of a kind of they just kind of come into each other's orbits re- for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I really hope and it's then, just a crossing paths episode. That that's yeah. my real hope for this. Yeah, and they don't get bogged down in kind of like you know playing too much with those characters because they're doing so much work good work with their own mm-hmm. um own characters that they're doing that it's it's just enough to give a nod 
to to what's to the wider world, but carrying on. Yeah. Um, with with what he's doing, and it's kind it's kind of cool. It's it's a little bit video gamey. It's the kind of like you know, fetch and carry missions um, <laughs> that you've got. Yeah, um, I mean, you know. it's just great. Other little nods as well. Bringing Amy Staras back from the first season, she fits. Yeah. She fits in so well with that world, and even stuff like the R four from the actual original movies, the the droid with the bad motivator pops up. It's kind of all those little glances and nods that you see in the background. And I think if you're fully immersed in the Star Wars lore, it's great to see stuff like that because it is pretty much just fan service. And I think that's a lot of the stuff that goes on in the background is pretty much fan service. So like the bar owner in Tatooine, which is the same bar where Handshot Grudo is now run by Jabba's slave droid from Jabba's Palace is the one who was torturing all the droids in Return of the Jedi. It's all the little nods and stuff like that. Yeah, but that's just icing on a on a very nicely made cake. Yeah, that you kind of go. Yeah, you, you don't need to know all of that, but if you if you do, you just get yeah. that little extra kind of like, oh yeah, this is, this is good stuff. <laughs> it makes it um, so rewatchable as well. Guaranteed, you'll find something every time you watch it again. You'll find a little yeah. nod again. I think that's that's one of its strengths as well. Is it, it's a series that you'll be able to go back to. I think on on multiple occasions and and kind of get a lot out of it. And again, because they're quite short seasons, mm-hmm. um, so I, I didn't really feel that there was any filler in the first season. Um, you know, they they established the world quite quickly in the first three episodes, and then I, yeah. I, I thought each each of the subsequent episodes were each had their own. Um, merits really they they were trying something different with pretty much each one mm-hmm. whilst building that relationship between mando and the child and they, they, they've they've hit the ground running with these first two episodes yeah um already you just go ah, oh, this is this is great stuff yeah i mean um, i was slightly disappointed by the reaction to the second episode i think because the first episode ended with that last five seconds everybody was expecting an immediate con- continuation of that yeah i'm kind of glad that they just went He's there, yeah. <laughs> and I would be, I would be happy enough if we don't even see him again this season. Me too. Yeah. And 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 that's that's just that's just there that we know we know he's out there and something's going to happen down the line. Yeah. But I'm in no rush to get there. Nah, definitely. Um, it's a really I nice think, little yeah, breadcrumb. Yeah. yeah, just leave it. Just leave it. This is a show that's going to go. It's, it's not. It's not a Netflix show. It's yeah. not going to get cancelled after two seasons and leave us on a cliffhanger. It's it's uh, been fun to watch Matt's face throughout this, trying to decide. I'm, I'm trying to decide. Yeah, trying to work out what it is. Um, in terms of because uh, in terms of the release schedule, I know obviously the problem we had with the first season was that basically all the spoilers were already out by the time the first episode dropped in the UK. Is that the same? No. We're this time round, no, it's, it's a bit different, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're we're concurrent this time, so the US, the UK release exactly the same time so we're not having to worry about massive amount of spoilers before the series gets to us yeah it makes it makes friday night a great night for for viewing tv now because i've got i I watch um star trek discovery yeah uh, and then watch the mandalorian on a on a friday night and generally i've not seen any kind of spoilers for either of those shows so it's kind of like this is this is great, and I, I have to wait a week, and then I can kind of go online and have a look at the ridiculous theories that people are putting out there <laughs> into what it means, and you just go, no, that's never going to happen. I've really um, enjoyed Discovery as well. We're going to put that in a future episode. I think it's it's much stronger after the events of Series Two, and now they're into yeah. Series Three. It's it's very much 
established itself as it's its own thing now and we don't have to worry about the rest of the continuity. Yeah, having, it's, it's nice having a couple of shows that you can just go, I'm just really enjoying these. Yeah, it's kind of made Friday nights fun in what is a tough period for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, and Kate's to Star Wars and Star Trek fans, so both sides are happy of, of that. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you haven't started watching The Mandalorian yet, um, definitely get, get, get um, watch, watch season one. Um, but see, season two is off to a great start. Yeah, and I think if you're an Xbox owner or you use Game Pass, you get a 30-day free trial thrown in with Game Pass now. So no excuse, really. If you're on Game Pass, you can go and pick up Disney Plus for a month. Binge watch yeah, you might want to might want to wait a couple of weeks before you kick that off so yeah. that you know you're going to get the last few episodes of The Mandalorian before it expires. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you start, started up in December, you might be okay, I think. <laughs> But again, it's it's thirty days free. It's nothing to be sniffed at in this day and age of no more free trials for anyone. <laughs> uh, speaking of Xbox, we've got some console news. So Xbox One, sorry, Xbox Series X, not the Xbox One. X. I will always get confused with the Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S were released in the UK this week. Um, Game Pass has had quite a few changes added to it. In align with the release, uh, EA Play is now part of Game Pass. So although there is pretty much zero launch titles for the Xbox at the moment, uh, plenty of old games you can go and play and plenty of uh, EA games that you might have missed, such like Keith missed Jedi Fallen Order. And it's handy for the for those of us who owned the previous generation of consoles as well because um, having those raft of EA games kind of tied you over if you not had the experience to play those. I was quite surprised at how many FIFA games were on EA Play. <laughs> Who's choosing to play FIFA 16? Um, <laughs> it must be that you want to play certain players. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, it's interesting. I, I, you know, at the moment, I'm not in a position to take that leap to next gen. And I don't <laughs> think I'm going to in the very near future, even though the, the uh, Series S... Mm-hmm. looks a good proposition from a price point of view the lack of a physical drive for me is a little bit of a of a, of a problem yeah um you know because if, if i do go replace my um current system I'll, I'll still need something that can play uh blu-rays and, and do that kind of stuff for me as well i think there's a um, of enough an advantage between the one x and the series s to even consider swapping no no, I think I think I think if you're going to go for it, it's it's the Series X um, that you've got to go for, and yeah. um, you know. But I think with the the fact that EA Play is now part of um, X Game Pass, that there's enough new content there now for me to kind of mm-hmm. um, play play a few things. I've, I've you know I've downloaded a bunch of stuff recently, but just haven't got around to playing it. So I've started playing Doom Eternal. Um, which came onto Game Pass a little while back, um, which is quite fun. And I, I will do um, Jedi Fallen Order and try the 10-day trial of Squadrons to see whether that's um, worth playing at some point. Um, but I think there's still so much on current-gen ma- machines that I don't... That, you know, it's not... It's not doesn't seem as that important, really, to, to take the leap right now. Really. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we, we said before a couple of weeks ago, but it... 
It is a weird one because I remember um, so the last console um, a parent bought for me was was the 360 era, um, but it seems in the previous generations there's always been a, a kind of like I really need to get this console so I can then play these games. But on both sides, it has been very much a bit like most of the stuff that's on release is just upscaled versions of what we've already got. So it's more of an upgrade cycle or mentality rather than a you know the traditional hey it's a new console with loads of new games and let's slowly phase out the old yeah yeah definitely but uh matt you've had some we've had some surprising news out of sony's gate this week as well yeah so um out of nowhere ps4 players um suddenly got a app for PS5 and um, then Sony dropped the news that um, PS5s will now be able to stream games to PS4s so you don't have to throw away your old PS4 you can simply put it in another room and if you ever wanted to play uh, your PS5 say in your bed in on your bedroom TV you can fire them both up and stream straight from your PS4 it's a bit of a weird one because it makes sense uh, you're kind of thinking why is why if consoles not Done this before they've done remote play and that kind of thing, but it's um, to that extent of using previous consoles as as tech. Um, but it's it's very exciting because it's an added bonus uh, which players weren't really expecting, but actually can be very useful in any kind of setting. Really, yeah, I suppose it makes a lot of sense for as you said when it's downgraded to that second console, it might be taken upstairs the the Blu-ray pair for the bedroom or something like that which is what a lot happens to the consoles is they'll get passed down or to younger siblings, especially in families, where one will get one, one will get the other. So having that opportunity to use current gen on slightly older gen as a streaming box makes a lot of sense. Very smart move, I think. Absolutely, and it's quite positive as well because it's um, it shows that obviously they didn't have to do that, but it's, it's still getting value out of the old tech. It's not just a case of let, let's take you know phones that kind of thing. It's not a case of being your old phone and get the new one. It's uh, actually keep everything. You can still keep using both. They're still yeah. you know they're still valid. Well, it's probably a good move as well in in the area where you're not going to be able to box it all up and take it to CEX to fund. The, the purchase of a PlayStation 5 that you can hang on to it for a while uh, and still use it. And I think it's where it's one of the features that I haven't yet used on Xbox because I've not, I've not got Android phone, so I haven't really used Remote Play uh, on my kind of iPhone and iPad. But I do need to, I do need to try that at some point and pair up a device and see if all of that works. But again, I think Xbox for Android have also just started the touchscreen controls. So you don't even need a, an additional controller. It will only work with certain games, I think. Um, but that, that's another thing that you think that's that's the idea of being able to have your main console one place, but then be able to um, remote play elsewhere. I have actually tried the um, streaming service. The uh, It's not xCloud, it's the Xbox streaming service. Um, <coughs> so watch out for that, because that, a lot of people are getting confused between xCloud, Project xCloud, and Xbox game streaming two completely separate things. xCloud is going to be more like a remote play thing. And I think that's going to be something very much the Xbox Series X will be geared, Series S will be geared to in the, in the near future. But yeah. um, but the remote streaming does work quite well. I have tried it. The only issue is the same with all phone screen sizes. Trying to play a 1080p game on a screen that's five or six inches diagonal isn't really the best experience. And 
having to use the Xbox One controller, although it's a really nice controller, have not having a way to like clip them together, like you've seen on a few of the other ones. I think the Asus ROG phone comes with like a controller slash thing holster. Kind of does let that down a little bit because you'll need a kickstand or somewhere to prop it up. See it definitely working better on something like an Android tablet. And I think the specs are quite reasonable on it. So I think a tablet of around less than 100 quid would give you that 10 inch portable screen experience if you wanted to like screen your screen your games in the bedroom and the Xbox is downstairs, etc. As long as your internet's strong enough. But yeah. XCloud is something I'm really keeping an eye on because it's something that's been done quite a lot with other streaming services. So we talked about Shadow previously on the show. Um, NVIDIA have their GeForce Now, which has been through so many hurdles through its beta with games being pulled off, put back on, pulled off, pulled back on again. Uh, but that's another kind of remote streaming platform where it's all server-driven side of computer game where you'll you're basically playing a PC somewhere else in the world, expecting your internet to keep up. Be, I think that's the way the Series S is definitely going to go in a few years' time. It's my kind of little prediction is there'll be Xbox Series X games and streaming on Series S because that hard drive's not going to be big enough to hold multiple games, especially when you see stuff like Call of Duty Modern Warfare now taking up an entire hard drive on its own. I mean, the only thing I, I kind of feel sorry for is um, clueless parents for this generation when they're going to try and order an, an Xbox of some sort. And I guarantee you it's going to be wrong. It's going to go wrong massively. <laughs> I think there's been already a few examples where people have ordered a One X, for example. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Amazon's pre when the pre-orders went up, Amazon had a saw a rise on Xbox um, One X, X go, yeah. go up like seven hundred percent or something. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a good it's a a good year or two away before I think I need to to upgrade. Something yeah. pretty impressive has to happen. Yeah, I've noticed a few physical games I bought over the last few weeks and months for the Xbox One X are now branded Xbox One X, Xbox Series X on both. Of them. Yeah. So they've got like that dual branding going on. I think that's going to be for quite some time. They'll do that, and basically here's the here's one disc, but you've got both versions available. So yeah, I think the, the the it doesn't seem like there's the big differences between the the games. I think when uh, I think it was Shadow, one of the Mordor games. I can't remember which one it was. Shadow I think of you Mordor. Could play, yeah, yeah, you could play it on the 360, but you could also play it on the Xbox One. But you the 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 whole um, uh, way of the, the the characters interacting was was totally different so i think they well, I can't remember what this they, they had it was a particular system yeah i can't remember the name of it but you didn't get all of that on the 360 version and i don't think there just seems to be that much of a difference in in kind of games at the moment on on the two to two systems i don't think uh, you're not you yeah. tend to be losing out on anything at the moment well the other thing you to remember is the playstation and the xbox are built on exactly the same architecture which is amd's rr dna2 architecture so it's pretty much they are both white labeled gaming PCs running a custom operating system. That that's pretty much what they are now. They're, they're no, mm. it's not like back in the day where they had the cell processor in the PlayStation. It's kind of the architecture is exactly the same. They're going to be running exactly the same kind of graphics. There's not that much to toss up between the two of them, and I think that's helping with backwards compatibility and interoperability as well. 
as we mentioned, there's there's not a hell of a lot of difference between a One X and a Series S. Series X is the next logical step up. Same with the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. They're both running on the x86 architecture, so it's it's very easy to recode, and you don't have to convert a lot of things over. So it's very yeah. very similar inside, and it's also going to be a benefit for PC gamers like me and Matt as well, because things are going to be built for that kind of Ryzen slash um, Radeon processors, and will all benefit from that with tighter coding type. <laughs> Tighter optimization, it's all going to be built on exactly the same architecture. So, PC gaming is going to get a benefit as well, where it's going to be very similar structure behind it. Yeah, I think as well, like, really interesting point. It's that kind of thing of um, even PC gaming, it's a lot easier in terms of a, a couple of years ago, let's say like a decade ago, um, you would hit a wall where you would need to upgrade if you wanted to, you know, play the latest games, do the latest things. But actually, like, um, I'm still operating on a sort of 960 graphics card, and um, I can't remember the processor actually, but it's a through five series or something, and it's just it's still fine. Like, I can still play most of the games that come out comfortably. There's no significant difference, um, whereas you know, back when I was a teenager, um, games would literally not play. They would be like slideshows, you know, or whatever. It just is unfeasible. But now it's a lot easier to own a PC. Same with the consoles. It's a lot um, easier to invest in it uh, because it's it's less, there's less of a barrier, I think, necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I'm upgrading, but this is the first PC where it hasn't been upgrading because it, it literally drives me mental. It's unusable because it's so old. It's just, I want to do a bit more. So I've decided to upgrade, you know, which is quite nice. It's nice that the industry is moving that way. Mm-hmm. The technology's got to that point where it's it's not completely obtuse, you know. Um, and same with developers. Like they're not having as much of an issue where they're having to build one game on three different architectures and um, that's where a lot of the issues come in, especially when it's like next generation coming up. It's, it's consoles that don't exist yet or, or technology doesn't exist yet and they're still trying to build a game for it. You know, it's it, hopefully it'll be a little bit easier. Yeah, I think for, like, for more seasoned gamers like Keith and myself, you all remember back in the SNES Mega Drive games where <laughs> the game would be titled exactly the same thing. And it would be a completely different game in the box for either console. It would be just released yeah. at the same time. And you'd have multiple developers working on multiple iterations of the game. Like you'd have a Spectrum, Atari, a Commodore 64, an Amiga version of a game all released at the same time. All completely different because you couldn't code to cross-compatible with those consoles. Well, now it's time for the Mac to take a gigantic leap forward. To do this, we needed to develop a new set of advanced technologies. So for the past several years, we've had our teams working with the singular purpose of defining and building the next generation of Mac. And at the core of this effort is the silicon. We've been making Apple Silicon for more than a decade. It's at the heart of iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. And now we want to bring it to the Mac. So the Mac can take a huge leap forward with the incredible performance custom technologies, and industry-leading power efficiency of Apple Silicon. It's interesting we talk about architecture because that moves me on to our next subject as well. 
which is Apple have released their new MacBook Pro, their MacBook Air, and their new Mac Mini, all of which are packing a ARM-based processor. So whereas we've just mentioned the consoles and PCs are all based on the x86 structure set, and Intel was the previous sole provider of processors to Apple. Apple have gone and done their own one based on the ARM processors. So if you know about ARM, ARM is a Cambridge-based company. They design processors, and you probably have one in your vicinity, very close to you without probably even realizing it. Uh, All the Qualcomm Snapdragon processors in phones, or the Apple iPhone A-series processors, uh, or the Samsung Exynos processors all use ARM structures on their laptops. So they're all ARM processors. They're all usually big, big little designs. But this is the first time Apple have gone and developed their own in-house processor based on the ARM structures, ARM processing style. And from the looks of it, from what I've seen online, there is not a vast amount of difference internally between a Mac Mini, a Mac Pro, and a Mac Air. Uh, for the MacBook Pro, I think all they've done is shoved a fan in. Versus the MacBook Air, and that's about it. From what I've been reading about online, there is... Uh, but they've gone with, I think it's a octa-core processor design that they've done on this one. If I quickly check... Yeah, uh, they're making a lot of bold claims about it, mainly about battery life as well. 2.8 times faster CPU compared to the old Intel CPU, they're saying. Something about up to 20 hours battery life. And I don't know, these are some very strong claims for it that they're pulling out at the minute, and it's all about efficiency over power. But it's it's interesting because the RAM is still pretty garbage. (laughs) I, I... Mac has always, for some reason, they just don't like putting RAM into any of of their iterations of like MacBook and that kind of thing. And and they're still doing it. And it kind of winds me up because it bottlenecks it quite a lot. And and RAM is actually the one of the cheapest and easiest uh, things to to have so it just it's annoying <laughs> it well, annoys me they've actually made it worse now because although they used to be soldered on ram on motherboards and expansion slots now they've baked the ram directly into the processor so the cpu the graphics processor and the ram are all on the same chip now so basically if that chip fails and i think it's also got the t2 co-processor and the security processor on there so if any part of that chip fails that's it you've got a dead macbook and it's going to make it very hard for any kind of repair outside of the Apple ecosystem. So if it yeah. breaks, it breaks, basically. But I was thinking that when um, they sort of announced having their own uh, sort of architecture, they've been like, okay, is that, is that more to kind of get more control over repairs and that kind of thing because obviously there has been a massive rise in Apple repair shops due to the fact that it's quite expensive to go through Apple's official repair procedures and use official Apple repair um, sort of components, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's something they've definitely been pushing for years with the iPhones is making them harder and harder to repair. So we had stuff like the Touch ID button was synchronized to the board so you can so they're paired for eternity. And if 
one part and broke, then you couldn't replace the Touch ID button for a pro if you broke it or you cracked the screen or something like that. And I think they've done a new thing with the latest iPhone 12 series, where now if you replace the camera module, even if it's exactly the same internally, it, it won't work into the same respect. It'll glitch out, it'll break it. It's looking for some security protocols built into it. And Keith is a long-term Apple user. Are you tempted by these new MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, the Mac Mini? From from my personal workflow, mm. no. Um, just because if if I'm if I'm doing stuff that I need to do work wise, I need that little bit more oomph. There does appear to be, you know, some some bold claims made about what these machines can actually do, and I think of the three, the Air is the one that seems to stand out a little bit more because that is definitely taking that machine into a, a space where it will appeal to a lot of people. I think Apple's two biggest problems are its insistence on closing itself off from um, other other sources that, with the repairs, but also a little bit with the software because I'm assuming that the the graphics performance and everything else will be tied to using Apple software predominantly. It's the same way kind of performance on Final Cut X would always tend to exceed uh, performances on things like Premiere or Resolve just because of the um, the, way, the way they'd optimize those those programs to use the, the Apple yeah. uh, architecture. Um, and, and the price. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the price is always kind of a prohibitive one. Although, the air, the air, you kind of look at it, but, you know, you're looking at the price, comparing that to kind of any PC laptop that you've got. Um, there's a, there's a big discrepancy in in cost on there. Uh, I think what what was interesting with the fact that they've moved to this new architecture, the door that it opens in terms of these machines technically now would be able to run any app written for the iPhone or the iPad, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because obviously there will be certain software that is is very much geared towards using touchscreen. Um, and and you know will that affect developers thinking somebody might download this on a Mac and kind of doing a bit of a bodge job to make it work for a keypad keypad and touchpad as well as for a touchscreen and worrying too much about using it across multiple devices. I think um, there's a few video editors that I use on the iPad that I'm kind of thinking. Don't don't get bogged down in that. This works brilliantly on a touchscreen. It works fantastically. If I need to use a desktop machine for something else, there's already stuff that I, I would be using for that. You know, I don't I don't want them to muddy the waters um, with how software is going to get used um, because of that. I think you know, the, this, each each tool has a distinctive use. I will use my laptop for something different to what I will use my phone to what I will use my iPad for. The fact that I can switch from one device to another, something like AirDrop is a great way of moving content around. So I can take photos and video on one, edit it on another, drop it into something else to add other bits and pieces. So I kind of like that that flow, that flow works, rather than trying to think I can do the same thing on every device. Um, so I kind of hope that that doesn't end up being something that kind of like stuff just stops working because it's like it doesn't really work on one device at all now. Well, the, the thing you mentioned about interoperability between iOS, iPadOS, and the new macOS, yeah, makes sense. But 
at the same time, that is breaking functionality between any x86 application that's not going to have to be recoded for ARM. So if you think about it, I know the Adobe have worked hard to make sure the Creative Suite is available. But we're back to now to where Macs were in the late, mid to late 90s, where if you're if you, for example, want to play some casual games on a Mac laptop, you are very limited on what choice of gaming you have because now everything's built for x86. Console games are now built for x86, as we mentioned with the Xbox and the PlayStation 5. Is anybody going to go and do that amount of rework to publish games for the new series of Macs? I don't think there's going to be very many at all. You might get... Yeah. Blizzard are usually supporters of the Mac OS, so you might get stuff like Hearthstone or maybe World of Warcraft. But I think it's going to be very slim pickings for anybody who's interested in, in any kind of casual gaming to, yeah. to be able to game on a Mac going forward. I'm wondering as well whether um, Boot Camp, which was a, a, um, already, a system that um, it's already used dead. to work on the old Macs, is that so that they've that's definitely gone from the M1 yeah. range? They pretty much killed it. So they I mean that still does mean if you want to if you want to go down that route, then the kind of the, the large format MacBook Pro, um, which is still being offered with the the Intel chipset. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that it's yeah it's it's an it's a it's a strange choice to do half the range and then you know the, what what the expensive pro end the real pro end um is still kind of the, there for yeah. those because other usages i think the um, big problem with that is especially with the macbook pro the large macbook pro it thermal throttles and it's it's basically been presented as this is a thin and light device with device with some heavy hardware inside and it yeah. just can't cope and it's that thing which apple have been very much guilty of the last few years which is function um, form over function a lot and they're great at making stuff look pretty and their industrial design is beautiful and i will not deny that but but they they break the actual usefulness of the device by forcing it into a sachet that is not designed for that amount of heat I think um, one of the late, one of the pre, the last generation, the Intel ones. I think it was the previous MacBook Air where they found out the fan's not even connected to the processor, that the heat pipe is near the fan, and that's about it. So it's kind of like awful, awful internal layout to fit that external design, and I don't think that's going to be. I think they've gone down ARM because the more efficiency and they can get away with having those thin and light slim devices which they they really favor because it's basically now just a soup a souped up mobile chip inside it it's a souped up yeah. version of the A12 or the A14 processor this um what's it ASM1 I think is the name of the processor uh, Apple silicon M1 processor it's not that much over what looks like the A14 and I think also having that 16 gig of RAM limit on it, it's really going to hurt future, future, future usefulness of this device. Um, I think I think they're kind of aiming these devices at the same kind of market that the phones are. That that, that it's it's going to get sold to people who are never ever going to get to the point of of using these machines to their their capacity. 
it's 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 going to be casual browsing <laughs> and you know a bit of a bit of word processing and a and a bit of um track and trace development in um excel you know it's going to be that kind of um low end use i don't think for most people that the the lack of ram is going to really impact and and gamers aren't going to be switching from from you know pcs or um you know other windows machines over to, over to mac for for any of that kind of um usage i think using the pro moniker is really going to hurt it though because that pro moniker yeah. for years has been all about this is designed for video editors it's designed for video audio uh, photography editors it's designed to be a mobile workstation that you can get it done and it's something that they've really pushed with that pro model and that's why you're paying so much over the market is you're buying the yeah. pro model because it does everything you need it to do as a mobile workstation i think if they'd called this the air and the new macbook they'd probably be getting a lot less flack online uh, yeah i think, I think I... using that pro moniker on which, which is basically just purely a macbook air with a fan in it and sorry sorry yeah. the touch bar which again, not many people are a big fan of. It seems to be a lot of backwards thinking, and it seems to be they've really lost the way with that. Yeah, I think I think that 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 hits the nail on the head. They would have been much better off going down the route of the you know the Mac Mini is obviously its its own little thing, MacBook Air, MacBook, and then the MacBook Pro is the, is the sixteen inch kind of you know one that would have made more sense in terms of that you it would have been much clearly defined what what each machine was kind of doing out of it and they kind of used that that naming um convention a, a while back probably in the early um, yeah two tens and that might that might have kind of stopped them getting a bit slammed on the fact that um the the 13 inch pro is really not you know you're going to get pretty much the same kind of performance out of the air really in a lot of instances yeah um, they seem to have taken the air moniker and turned it into their second level now because it used to be the entry yeah. level models it seems to now just go macbook now macbook air and then macbook pro where it used to be air no title and then pro it seems to be really yeah. pushing the air as it's kind of mid-range one i know it's something that especially done with the new ipads with the new ipad air it seems to be pretty much a slightly less functional version of the iPad Pro. Yeah, I mean, there's there's things that you would think, you know, would it have would it have been more interesting to have introduced some touchscreen elements to the devices? Mm -hmm. So you could start doing some stuff that was a little bit um, touchscreen based. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of PC laptops now have um, touchscreen elements to them. But then when you be cutting um, into iPad sales because the new iPads have yeah. a dock where you can put a keyboard on it and a touchpad, it's kind of... Yeah, it's like, uh, what what's what now? I, it was that ridiculous advertising campaign they had a few years back where it was like, <laughs> this isn't a computer. Yeah. Um, whatever it was. Um, yeah. I, and it, it, it's it's more... Upgrades for me now are being are more forced by lack of support um you know the, the fact that at some point um chrome won't work because i've not got the support or an apple come out that, that isn't supported by the os yeah. so again it's like, like the phones it's being driven by the os rather than the hardware it's like if, if the software will run that's fine I, I, i'm quite happy to keep using the machine and you know a lot of people are still using macbooks 
from you know 2015 2010 2011 whatever yeah. and quite happily doing you know the day-to-day touch tasks that they need to do um so yeah a little bit like the xbox and the playstation it's like there is no real clear upgrade path that you think i need to do this i yeah. need to upgrade I mean, um, I, I just feel like this is kind of their hubris at the minute that they're now one of the world's wealthiest companies and they have this hubris of we'll slap an Apple logo on it and it'll sell without any innovation. Apple's fascinating for, for, for that reason. Um, and any, if you ever want to learn about marketing, look at Apple because even in the latest like, like uh, release, it, it's never about actually here's all the details into the specs it's you're buying into the brand by buying the product you are being this certain type of person and that's where obviously they come to market with um designers and creators and that kind of thing because there was also a bit of a prevalence where if if you met with a, a, a freelance designer or whatever and they weren't working on a mac you're a bit like oh okay why, why aren't you working on a mac because that was kind of the thing um so kind of yeah going back back to your point apple have always been brand focused rather than focusing on the technology itself and it is very much a case of it does work and um, like like you said keith said you're absolutely right there are people i know who got their backbooks for uni and they're still using them and obviously they're a little bit worse for wear but they're a lot better than you know the laptop i had which died six years ago but it has always been a brand power over functionality and i think the, the biggest kind of annoyance uh, not just with with apple though they're a, they're a big perpetrator of it is it does stifle um opportunity so obviously yes you wouldn't necessarily get a macbook if you wanted to predominantly game but for someone who already had a macbook it would be nice for them to be able to dabble in in, in that and vice versa you know um but there's that additional barrier and especially when you've got people who have been loyal to Apple for many, many years, paid a lot of money into Apple. It's annoying they do still do that. You know, they're, they're still almost kind of cooking their audience a little bit to be like, well, but you will pay for it. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's definitely that vertical integration they're pushing as well. As you mentioned, the third party repair shops won't be able to fix these devices at all. So basically, they want to have the entire life cycle of a device. They want it from the day they sell it to you once. They want every other pound that you're ever going to spend to come back to Apple, whether it's via mm-hmm. Apple Care, or the, by the repair service, whether it's via iTunes, whether it's via Apple Home, any kind of extra service they can put on, as they just want the revenue back to them. And this is very much that's what they're pushing with these new PCs. It's very much a case of when you're an Apple customer, you have no choice but to go with to Apple for anything with your device going forward. Yeah, and I think it is what it is um, in terms of, obviously, this is nothing new. So um, it's it's based on preference whether you want, want to buy products or not. But I think, um, like you kind of said, the, the kind of challenge they're going to have is if they become too insular, then they're going to be left behind because Apple used to be quite innovative, obviously, with the whole, you know, pioneering the smartphone and that kind of thing. But recently it feels like they've gotten a bit complacent so i think um to try and get that innovative spark back they need to be a bit more kind of collaborative rather than insular and this is all mine 
these are my toys, I'll let you play with them, but they're my toys <laughs> and my toys only. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see because uh, there's, there's well-known beef between NVIDIA and Apple for many years where you cannot get NVIDIA products on Apple devices at all. So you can't get like a, a GeForce graphics card inside an Apple PC. But now they're using the ARM infrastructure and NVIDIA bought ARM recently. <laughs> so I think I think because Apple was one of the original founders of ARM at the time, they have a perpetual license. But it's quite interesting that now they're basically playing with what they consider the enemy. As <laughs> that. NVIDIA own this kind of ARM manufacturing now. And it's going to be interesting when we get in further into AI and stuff like that with what NVIDIA end up doing with ARM. I'm hoping it stays in Britain. <clears throat> it's, it's very well-renowned. As I said, it's based in, based in Cambridge, and they are very, very well-renowned across the world. As the Basically, they don't build the processes themselves. They'll just design it, and then people can license the architecture and the infrastructure. But, <clears throat> yeah. To me, it feels like a misstep. I'm sure they'll sell by the crate load, but be interesting to see what other devices are coming out for these new M series processors from Apple Silicon going forward. I mean, is it going to be the iPads are going to be swapped over to the M processors for the next generation after this? Be interesting to, set, to keep an eye on. Yeah, I wish I wish that they would just move away from the kind of yearly update new releases and and kind of you know get back to that kind of slightly more um innovation you know some something that that really is worth changing the way you work to or improves the way you work to quite an extent in in the you know the the stagnation that you've had with iPhones you know when they when they first launched that was a completely new way of 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 using a smartphone and all the rest of it over years, that's not really changed too much in terms of the core core thing of what it is, and 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 and, and, and it's it's business. I imagine that's it, it comes down to business. It's that if we can sell you a new product every year, we're going to do so. Um, but I'd rather you sell me a good product every couple of years um, yeah. that makes it worthwhile because it it's a lot of money to stump down to then think I'm going to be stuck with this, um, and I think. It usually proves to be if you do if you do stomp down the money for an Apple device, it's going to last you a while. It, it's going to it's going to do it's going to do what you need for for yeah. some time. And yeah, there's no denying they retain their value a lot longer than the latest yeah. Android phone. So if you're buying a brand new phone now and you want to be able to sell it on in a few years' time, iPhone is probably the way to go because it'll have that value attached to it. But um, yeah, yeah. I think my, my advice would be to anybody who's looking at these machines is to consider what you want to do. Definitely. And then see whether this machine will do that well for you and not to kind of get, like Matt says, get too embroiled in the brand identity of things. Um, it's, you, it's, a, it's a tool. So you want the tool to do the job you need to do. Uh, and I think in the past, the creative thing was when you had things like Pro Tools and all the rest of it, they they did that job particularly well. So if you're doing music production or when stuff like um, Final Cut was first out there, it did those specific jobs very well. Now, software developers are more in control of, of how good those um, tools are 
and and are available on different more, more platforms now because there are some instances where an iPad will will do a job much better than a desktop machine and the other way around. So you, it's really kind of think about what you want your device to do and buy accordingly rather than kind of thinking that sounds a good machine. Yeah, and this is you know you, you've got to buy the right tool for the job. Yeah, and definitely for any kind of electronic device you're playing, do your research, make sure yeah. it's going to be what you're after. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy show this week. Keith, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at hardlook underscore hotel and on Instagram at hardlook hotel without the underscore. So that's one less keystroke for you to put in. So go to Instagram first if you don't like putting keys on fingers on keys that'd be an easy one for you um but you can regularly find me uh, on wednesdays on the geeky brummy uh, twitter feed which i take over for uh, comics and other shenanigans and then on the website on wednesday as well with the main part of the pool list where you can just see the kind of comics that i am buying awesome matt where can we find you online uh, you can all find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Lovell, where I mostly retweet this at Millennium Point and the occasional trying to be funny and no one likes it, so I look ridiculous. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at matchstick underscore Matt, where it's mostly selfies, to be honest. Um, or on the uh, every Friday, I do the gaming roundup alongside Lee at the uh, Geeky Broom website, so check it out. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. And you can find Lee on his YouTube channel, which is Bob the Pet Ferry. I think he has a raft of videos in the run-up to the Christmas season. Uh, you can find him also on Twitter, at Bob the Pet Ferret, and at the Cheap Ferret through his personal account. Uh, you can find me currently at Brummy Gourmand, moaning about Bake Off. I've got a couple of weeks left of that. And also now moaning about MasterChef The Professionals, which has returned for the foodie stuff. Which has made my Tuesday night really difficult because I have to have one ear on one and one ear on the other, as they're both at the same time. They overlap, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Tricky. Yes. Although I did, I did appreciate your. Um, ma- I don't watch Master Chef, but I don't need to because I see your tweets, and it's like, yeah, I know everything <laughs> I need to know about this show from that. Yes. Yeah. The the Mister Voon Mister Spoon tweet did quite well yesterday's show. <laughs> So that's the kind of stuff you'll expect on there. But you can find us all, as Matt and Keith have mentioned, at geekybrimmer.com on Wednesdays and Fridays for the pull list and the gaming roundup with esports news. Uh, you can find us all at Twitter at Geeky Brummy, Instagram at Geeky Brummy, Facebook at Geeky Brummy, and at YouTube, surprisingly, at Geeky Brummy. So uh, don't forget to leave a review, like, subscribe, share, tell us all up. Tell all your friends about it and tell us all about your thoughts of the show as well. It really helps us bump up if we just leave a quick review, even if it's three words, which is this is something, maybe. All engagement (laughs) is good engagement. (laughs) But for now, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next issue. Bye, everybody. Bye, all. Bye.